Okay, here we go. My name is Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. We got a special show today. Uh, it's not the traditional you and I just gabbing back and forth, is it? No, this is our guest show. This is our guest show. So um, we are going to be talking to a woman named Nancy Mullen, and I'm going to let you, sweetie, introduce her. Okay. Right, well, Nancy Mullen is here with us today, sitting across from me, and she is a writer and a blogger, and she is an advocate for the LGBT community, uh, specifically re- youth, right? Nancy, okay. Um, I just wanted to read a few things about her background that I found really interesting. So Nancy is also a social worker. She received her master's degree. um, So what year was that? Tell me again. 91. 91. So she and I were just talking before the show that when she was in school, there wasn't even really um, classes geared toward working with LGBT. Correct. Correct. So what I think you told me there was one day. The gay day. The gay day. The gay day. And so was that day more about you know, this is what it is, or was it, this is how you work with this community? Well, in the early 90s, the gay day usually revolved around issues related to HIV and AIDS. Mm. Of course. That was, that's what, what was, was on the forefront. Relevant. So at that time, was it a blaming time, or had we come clear about the fact that this was not a gay disease by then? Within the class, there was no blame. Within the class, it was how to advocate for the people that you'd be working with who were living with HIV and AIDS. Got it. So there was a very positive spin on it. Awesome. In the community, it was a very different story in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. For sure. We uh, That was when we were just finishing college, Todd. Do you remember that time? 19. Well, yeah. I mean, college is kind of a blur, but you know, when I <laughs> think of a gay in college magic johnson had right. um you know i know magic wasn't gay but he uh, uh, contracted, he contracted HIV. hiv so like those are some of the things that spin to mind well he was one of the people who started changing that yes. that he was probably really important face. right yes yeah yeah, and it's um, yeah. There's actually a documentary, uh, ESPN Thirty for Thirty, and they have the 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 week that leads up to his announcement. And uh, maybe I can find it and put it in the show notes because it's actually quite outstanding. Okay, let me finish uh, a right, little more ahead. about Nancy so we can make sure we get all this in. So Nancy had her MSW, and she decided even if they weren't going to train her in working with the LGBT community, she was going to do it anyway. Um, so she worked for several years in the HIV/AIDS field. Shifted her work to the LGBT youth in 1998 became executive director of a small grassroots agency, and she's now a public speaker um, for topics about the LGBT community and current trends, which she and I were just discussing, which if Todd was listening, he'd be mad because it should have been stuff we talked about on the show. We but can we'll, duplicate. We'll bring it back in. Um, but some other fun things about Nancy that I thought was that was interesting is you've got your associate's degree in pastry arts. Still. Working, working, on, working it. on it. Ten credit short, just ten. Totally. And I love what you say about how you, know, you decided to go get your degree in something that has nothing to do with your current vocation. You have to do something in your world that doesn't have to do with social services. (laughs) Totally. And, you know, I did the same thing, even though I can kind of, you know, and you're probably seeing ways where you can combine them. But I remember, you know, got got my master's degree. We're still paying that off, of course. You know, decided to get my certification in parent coaching to add to that. You know, had to work hard on that. And then I told Todd I wanted to be a yoga teacher. He's like, what? Yeah. What? But you find ways to combine. Absolutely. And you know what? I want to see your combined pastry stuff with (laughs) being in a social worker. That oh, would be interesting. I, I have the idea for it. What do you got? Based on a model I saw happen in Syracuse when I was still living there, uh, one of the other executive directors owned a restaurant and he worked in the field of uh, social work that dealt with people with chronic mental illness. Mm. And the people who came through his program and got reestablished, got back on their meds, got stabilized, um, they could get a job Beautiful. within his restaurant right. and then pick up some work skills, get themselves 
established in an apartment and moved back out into the workforce. It was a perfect combination. Yes. Real life skills. Yeah. Instead of here's how you do it, now go out and do it. Here's how you do it, and I'll give the opportunity to show people what you can do. Mm-hmm. Right. There you go, Todd. Cool. Anything's Nancy possible. Nancy wins. Um, I also wanted to say that she has a uh, a website and a blog called Urban Tide Pool, and she is has written or is in the process of getting her book Urban Tide Pool published. And Nancy, will you just give us like a quick overview of what your book is going to be about once it's out there? Sure. Urban Tide Pool is focusing on about 10 years of my childhood, uh, bracketed by the deaths of both of my parents, my mother when I was seven years old, my father when I was 17. And growing up during that time, uh, the impact of her of her death on our family and the impact of my father's alcoholism on our family and a brother who was, um, I think, in this day and age would be diagnosed with a mental illness. At that point was not in the early 70s, early 80s. It was not taken a look at as closely as it is today. Right. The impact on our family and on me growing up, the youngest child in this family. Um, the story is interwoven with stories from our, would have been kids when mm-hmm. I came to Youth Outlook in 1998, who are now young adults or 30-ish, who are telling their stories of how our agency impacted them or how their relationship with me impacted them after surviving the loss that I experienced that I went on. I didn't just survive. I thrived. And Mm. I created something that is fabulous for the kids who were dealing with their orientation and their gender identity now. That's why I was so excited to have you on the show, because you're just one of those people who has this history to pull from that you would never necessarily wish upon someone or that you would say, I I want to do that again. (laughs) You know, but at the same time, what you you got through it, you survived it, and you're pulling from it so you can support other people. And that is, um, you know, it's courageous, it's brave, and it's what the world needs. You know, instead of us deciding the world needs to be a certain way, and that's what I saw, and that's what I grew up with. Instead, this is what I saw, this is what I grew up with, this is what should be happening instead. And and you can give that and and be... um, empathetic to kids who are experiencing are you still this is just off the top of my head are you still experiencing that children who are coming out um as you know lgbt that you know wherever in that range that they are being like kicked out of their homes is that still true because when i was starting my master's degree which was now like 10 years ago i worked for the runaway hotline in chicago and majority i'd say 90 percent of the kids who i answered calls Mm -hmm. they were they had identified with being gay and their parents had kicked them out of the house is that still true Nationally, yeah, the statistics are still extremely high for LGBT kids who are homeless. Uh, The national statistic is about 40% of kids who are homeless annually are LGBT, Hmm. particularly high T, particularly high trans youth of color. Interesting. In Chicago, it can be higher than that. There are pockets around the country where homeless youth uh, and the LGBT community, it's, there's a... There's a grapevine among homeless LGBT kids where they will end up in these pockets around the country, and Chicago is one of the pockets. Um, So they do get drawn here for the services that are in the city. So obviously there's a lot of work that needs to get done, but I mean, and I don't know the answer to this, but isn't it must be getting better, yes or no? Oh, what a great question. I get asked this question all the time. The problems that we were seeing in 1998, 99, when I first arrived to start running Youth Outlook, were impacting on kids who were late high school and early college. What has happened in the last decade is those problems have not gone away. They've migrated to a younger population. Mm. In the the last 10 years, the national coming out age, the average, has dropped to 13, down from 19 about a decade ago. Mm. So now we've got those same problems hitting much, much younger kids Mm. who don't have the the coping skills to deal Deal with with the backlash. So, but I I understand that the problems are still there, but it's a move in the right direction that 
instead of hiding it for those six years from 13 to 19 to use your stats, it's better. Isn't it better that they're coming out earlier or no? I think it depends on the community they're living in and how the family supports them. I, you know, because what I was going to say, Todd, is when you are coming out earlier, you're still you're 13. You're going you're in eighth grade. You still got a lot of time to go where you can be surrounded by people. You know, if you're coming out at 1920, you may be going into a college experience where it's a lot more open minded. Mm-hmm. You may be going into a situation as an adult where you can make your own choices and you know uh, surround yourself with a community that's right. supportive. But if you're 13, so here's the thing. I think it would be better that they that a, a boy or a girl comes out earlier if they have a loving, loving and supportive family. If they have a non-loving and supportive family, then it'd probably be in their best interest to wait, no? Then that puts them in a position of living a double life exactly. and essentially lying to right. everybody. So there doesn't seem to be a good choice there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like you said, it's one of those things where, you know, the the hope is, and it's like people like you, Nancy, who are actually creating community for them and creating some a mirror, like someone that they can understand, talk to, um, you know, they at least, there's more, there's they can see more of themselves in the world. <laughs> you know, there's more people that reflect back who they are. But if they are in a situation where they're surrounded by people who don't get it, they're going to get the same kind of bullying right. or the same kind of... Um, backlash right because that was going to be my next question obviously a huge shift has been the media i just read um i'm an entertainment weekly freak um i love that magazine and i was just reading an article about how majority of shows now and again this can be you'd have to tell me if this is perceived negatively or positive but has a gay character in the show whereas before you know before our will and grace time um you know that that just wasn't the case and so when you were watching tv you know and you were looking for someone to identify with there was nobody but now my next question would be are these stereotypical characters that are put on these show where it's really not a reflection of the true population Hmm. i think for entertainment purposes even heterosexual people are stereotyped so true so true you you have to leave the coffee shop at some point you have to go to work at some point you have to do real life things it's all not true (laughs) exactly exactly so it's maybe it's created a shift in our society where there's a little more acceptance but it's not necessary it's funny like i'm thinking of spin city remember spin city michael j fox there's an african-american dude on that and he was like i think my first tv experience where uh, he was a normal non you know this is going to come out sounding bad but you know some of the tendencies for um, television characters. We pigeonhole. Pigeonhole yeah. them to be a little bit, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, we stereotype them and make them maybe a what what society or culture right. believes they Whereas are. Whereas this guy was, a, a, for lack of a better term, normal dude who liked football and, you know, right. he didn't fit into that gay stereotype. Right. So anyway. The color was, of his skin had nothing to do no, with No, it had nothing to was. do with that. I'm just trying to think of when that shifted for me from a TV perspective and that was, mm-hmm. that was it. So. Well, and, you know, some people would say that we're having our own entertainment conversation here, but sometimes that shifts backwards, too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll have a show that moves it forwards and then all of a sudden it's starts to shift backwards into those stereotypes again. Well, if you look at it over the course of history, right before Will and Grace, we had Ellen come out. We sure did. And she lost her show. I know. So lots has changed. Exactly. Exactly. Ellen's a, you, you love her. I do. Kathy love loves Ellen probably more than most. I don't know. It's just weird. I she's, assume that she's, she's a huge part of your uh, LGBT culture as absolutely. far as what she brought to the forefront. Absolutely. And look what she's able to talk about. On a daily basis with just the general population and her audience about LGBT kids and the bullying that they're dealing with and the depression that they're dealing with that 
you know, what was it, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, she was shut down just for mm. saying she was who she was. Exactly. So in just a couple of decades, things have shifted dramatically. She has created a platform where not only are people listening, but they love her, they accept her, right. they know her, right. and they have an understanding of this is, a, you know, this is this is our uncle, this is our best friend, this is not just, These are people. just people. These are just people. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so, so true. So um, I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing in your work. You know, like you and I had a little conversation before we started about what the, you know, what was going on in the 90s or what was being focused on versus what's being focused on now. So could you just share that again, you know, that you were saying the transgender youth is what's really making the impact now. Right. I was telling Kathy before you came back into the room, Todd, that there has been a a new rite of passage that has been identified. There was a great, uh, I think it was Parade Magazine article maybe six, eight months back that started me thinking and some other research that has surfaced in the meantime that supports this. For people who are my age, um, I would say anywhere from 35 and over, our big rite of passage was the big public coming out. Hi, mm-hmm. I'm gay. I'm not going back in the closet. I'm here. I'm queer. I'm never going away kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the the change that has happened in the last few years with the, the kids who are coming up now, this generation's rite of passage is going to be a little bit different. It's not going to be about the big public coming out. It's going to be about breaking the gender binaries that we have been so... Um, Attached to. Attached to. We believe it's the only truth. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating to watch what's happening with the attendance that's going through Youth Outlook right now with there are kids who come in on our, say, our Tuesday night group. Um, Any given Tuesday night, half of the room might identify as trans or gender variant out of the 35 kids who were in attendance. Mm -hmm. It used to be a few years ago, if we had one or two kids, we had a lot of trans kids. But as I said, the floodgates have opened and all of the kids are they're just messing with these boundaries because this right. is going to be what they're going to do for our country. So for you, our need, world. you need to help me out because I'm a little ignorant when it comes. To, so you're talking about transgender. Give me some examples of what you're talking about. A boy or a girl comes in and, and what exactly are they? Are they a feeling through? or experience yeah, for me. the trans kids? Mm-hmm. Yes. Sure. Uh, the trans kids are walking on the walking in the door and they think they believe they know. Um, it depends on where they where are in the, in the process, process, how they identify it. That they are uh, born into the wrong body. Got it. That they identify internally as male or female, and the body doesn't match. The biology doesn't match what the internal identification is. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And, you know, another thing that Nancy was saying is how there's just this huge spectrum and that everything doesn't line up perfectly. You can identify one way, and maybe your sexuality is another way, or maybe your sexuality, you know, it's not all it's not we try and make it so clean and neat and nice and it's a continuum Mm -hmm. and you know it's interesting uh something that todd and i are finding in our world of parenting is there's a lot more and especially because of the blogosphere there's so many blogs a lot more parents talking about their children Mm -hmm. at very young ages playing with that a little more Mm -hmm. um you know in our culture as you know when girls play with being a tomboy we have no problem with that when boys play with putting on dresses and with you know putting on makeup or trying on tiaras there seems to be a little more tension around that. You a little are being more discomfort. way too kind. Well, you know the a way dad I talk. sees his son playing with a doll. A lot of dads are going to go nuts because why, Todd? What's the because issue? they're scared that their kid might turn that might be gay, right. or they're scared that their kid might not be who they wanted them to be when they came out of their wife's tummy. That's the way that I would say it. Is they don't know, they don't understand it. Therefore, they don't want it to be a certain way. They don't have an their their limit. You know, that's why I love what you say about the spectrum, because their limit of understanding is in this teeny 
piece of the spectrum. All kids are presumed to be heterosexual when they roll off the assembly line without anybody ever stopping to check in with what this little person actually identifies as. So (laughs) let's let's say somebody's listening and they have a son or a daughter who all of a sudden your words are kind of connecting with them saying, oh, maybe I should have a conversation. What age, how do you start it? Any ideas? What to listen for is something like the message, I'm different. Mm -hmm. Those messages that you're putting out to me don't resonate with me. No first grader is going to sit down and tell you that in that language. But that's in their own language, right? I'm different. I don't fit. Mm -hmm. I'm not in the right body. Mm -hmm. Um, The wedding that you're talking about with the white dress and marrying the boy from down the street doesn't mean anything to me. Doesn't mean anything to me. If you're if you're keyed into those kinds of messages, then I think you you are opening the door to have those conversations with your kid as the kid grows up and starts to develop language to deal with this. The research that we've got coming out right now is telling us that kids are starting to wrestle with this between the ages of five and seven, mm-hmm. where they start to understand that they're different. They don't have the language yet in most cases to tell you exactly what the difference is, mm-hmm. but they're they're keyed into it enough to be able to say, I don't fit. So you're talking about both uh, transgender and you know homosexuality, either and, one. Yeah. You're not talking about one or the other here. Right. You're talking about both. Gay or lesbian okay. kids, absolutely. Well, and I loved one of your blogs, Nancy, that I read was talking about when people would ask you when you knew, when you knew, <laughs> you know? Right. And I love that because, you know, it's not like you're five and you say... Yeah, I'm gay. Because you don't have that language. You don't have that understanding. Maybe no one's even shared with you that right. there is such a thing. Right. You, It's just those words that you just said. That's what's important is I don't feel like these things that you're, you know, we were just talking about princess pink blankets before. These blankets that you're giving me, this pink stuff, it doesn't mean anything to me. Or these stories you're telling me right. about girls or there's books you're reading, they don't fit or vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, boys. And just instead of needing them to say these words that we use as a culture, just listen to their own either discomfort or... Or, you know, on the other side, you know, some of these stories that I read, the ones that become most popular are about the kids who say, forget the culture. This is who I am. And they start walking toward who they are without anyone's permission. You know, and those are the ones that make, you know, the big story because they're willing to come out and say these things. I think that's one of the highlights that we've seen happen at Youth Outlook. Last year, Youth Outlook worked with uh, one of the middle schools in DeKalb to launch the first Gay Straight Alliance at a middle Mm. school level in the state. It was really groundbreaking. And when we had our gala last fall, I invited the two young women from, they were in seventh grade at the time, I invited them to come and be our guests at the gala. And when I did my kind of state of the agency address to the the attendees, I asked if I could introduce them to our guests. And both of them agreed. And these are two 12-year-old girls. They don't really want to be put in the spotlight. They're kind of sitting there kind of a little nervous by the whole thing. And... um, when I got to the point of introducing them and I asked them if they would just stand up at their place so that people could see who they were, they got a standing ovation from mm. the adults in the room. And I can't imagine what that's like to get a standing ovation for standing up for what you believe in at 12 years old from 200 adults who never had those opportunities as people. Mm-hmm. That was it was a, a life-altering moment for them. It was a life-altering moment for the agency to see that that our kids get to have those experiences yeah. and be so supported in striving for that goal, striving for that I want to be myself moment. I was just going to say it's all about I want to be myself. It's yep. not I'm going to, you know, push this language or push this word mm-hmm. or it's I just want to be who I am. Yes, safely. Yeah. I want to be who I am safely. Mm. I get teary. You just said DeKalb. Were these girls from DeKalb, from yes. a DeKalb school? That's where I grew up. 
that's my hometown. And I would, and you know, I, I don't, I did not hear about this story, but I'm more interested to go back and now read more about it, knowing that I, I went to school there as well. They were doing some wonderful things there. I'm so happy about that. That's, that's wonderful. Um, so Todd, did you want to say anything else specific? I kind of wanted to move into Nancy's blog real quick so we could finish up. So Nancy, again, she's a blogger, and I really um, urge you. Will you say your website, your blog website, so everybody knows? UrbanTidePool.com. UrbanTidePool.com. You can, easy one to remember. Um, but she wrote a blog just the other day that really resonated with me because for you guys who listen to Zen Parenting, you know that we talk a lot about words and how they can affect, and that um, words, to me, um, I believe they're alive, and I believe they affect a room, and I obviously they affect people, but they kind of stick in the air, and they stick around, and sometimes we don't realize the effect we're having on people. So in this blog, and Nancy, I'll let you explain. You use a great word to describe when negative words are thrown at you or others. And do you remember, what, what did you call that again? Microaggressions. Microaggressions. It is a great word, isn't it? It is. It, it, it so describes those moments that after they go on for a while, really just feel like your soul is being sucked out through your left ear. Mm. Totally. Uh, they just, it, they, you had a quote in there about the punches, mm-hmm. you know, the feeling of being punched. That'll from the interviewee. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'll go away, but it's the, the language and the words. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say that Maya Angelou has a quote about when people, you know, do that to you or say negative things to you over time, it's like being pecked to death by a duck. Yes, exactly. Yes. Or as I've also heard it described, death by a thousand paper cuts. Yes, mm-hmm. ouch. Those tiny little things that just... It just wears on you. And so what do you do about that? Nancy, do you ever say anything if someone says something negative to you or if you hear a, what, what is your response? When it comes to our kids, we do address it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, one of the things I do in my job is go to the high schools, talk to the counselors, talk to the social workers and try to prep them for dealing with the kids who are going to come into their offices mm-hmm. and talk about these situations mm-hmm. and how to support the kids. The whole point of having a youth outlook in existence is that there's a place where the kids can go, where they can unload that, where they can talk about how much it hurt and where they can find some healing in being with other people who have experienced those kinds of things and move past it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I, I think that's one of the things that we do best is giving the kids the community to balance out some of the negative stuff mm-hmm. that they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. If you look at the GLSEN research, uh, GLSEN and PFLAG both tell us, uh, should I explain those? Sure, please. Okay, GLSEN is the Gay, Lesbian, um, I'm sorry, Gl- Gay, Lesbian, Straight Educators Network, mm. and PFLAG, uh, Parents, Friends, and Family of Lesbians and Gays, two national groups that are working with compiling some information around LGBT youth issues and some other things that they do. Um, they, they have both told us in their research that LGBT kids face not, not one situation like that a day, not two situations like that a day, up to 90 times a day. Oh our God. kids are being exposed to this name calling, these little tiny pecks by the mm-hmm. duck. At mm-hmm. the same time in their life where they're expected to move through adolescence and come out the other side as a whole healthy, healthy. intact person. Mm-hmm. How do you become human when we've done nothing but systematically dehumanize you? Mm. I know. And so with that said, and again, this is going to sound very base, but just so our community that's listening has an understanding, will you give us some of the language that is um, that is accepted, that doesn't harm? And again, not that anyone should be calling anyone something. It's all about intention, as we know. Right. You know, any word can be shifted with tone and intention. Right. But what is the language that um, the LB, uh, LBGT community now identifies with? When I do presentations, when I write grants, I talk about LGBT youth. LGBT youth. Mm-hmm. I also get some very progressive grants from some funders uh, that call it working with queer youth. Mm-hmm. That comes with a caveat. Unless yeah. you live within our world, you're 
probably on better footing not to use that language. Okay. Um, That's what you were explaining mm-hmm. to me because I was saying to Nancy that our generation has kind of let go of the word queer because mm-hmm. we knew it started to offend right. and it's starting to come back into the community as being appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, the kids have reclaimed it. Yeah. So LGBTQ for uh, questioning or queer, oh, A for allies, um, and for some reason, uh, I for intersex, uh, which was just has just been renamed. Um, so they're going to have to come up with a new letter for the alphabet soup that we're exactly. all using. Exactly. We're trying to yeah. say them all. And did you notice right. I said LBGT? I can't even get the right. whole thing straight sometimes. LGBT. LGBT. Exactly. Okay, good. Because sometimes that's just the baseline is what language do we want to use? Mm-hmm. You know, when those of us who want to be respectful, understanding, mm-hmm. and educated, mm-hmm. um, we don't want to offend just by using the wrong word, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important if you're going to be conscious of that, that you, you don't want to use the word gay to talk to a trans kid. Trans kids may or may not identify as gay. Hmm. Gender identity is very different from sexual orientation. They're two very distinct parts of our brain, two very distinct parts of our being. Mm -hmm. So to talk to a, a... trans kid or a gender variant kid, um, you you want to find out if they identify as gay, lesbian, bi, or straight, indeed. So um, there there is a, some language to be picked up on. To be understood. And it's so interesting because the, the thing that Todd brought up about, you know, a young boy who is playing around with gender and trying to figure that out may have nothing to do with sexuality whatsoever. Nothing. Yeah. Isn't that great? I mean, and again, this is just education, mm-hmm. you know? What, from a percentage standpoint, how, I would assume that there's a ton more uh, homosexual people out there than transgender. Is that safe to say? Yes. Okay. Is it like, you know, for every hundred, you know, if you have an umbrella of LGBT is like 90 of them just homosexual and the other struggling with. How come you don't use the word gay? (laughs) I'm trying to be. I was just going to say, I was just talking about words. Oh, well, you just said LGBT youth, right? But you're saying homosexual. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I don't know. Is that okay? It's clinical. It is. Nobody uses it in. In, in the community. So gay. Gay. All right. I feel like Michael Scott from The Office. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but we... <laughs> <laughs> because, and no, I'll be honest. You're right. When I was growing up, you know, if somebody wanted to make fun of somebody, they used the word gay. Right. Right. right? They it's still kind of... do. There's, there's still a lot of that so gay kind of stuff happening at the schools, but... It, it's an identity. I'm so glad you called me out on that, honestly, because I otherwise I would continue to think that the appropriate word is homosexual. And you're saying the appropriate word is gay. If you're talking about gay, yes. Again, okay. If you're talking and about trans, it's trans. Gotcha. Different thing. And I love what you said about homosexuality. It's a clinical term. It's like a descriptive rather than an identity. Yeah. And, oh, thank and the, you for doing yeah, that. I appreciate thank that. Thank you, Nancy. Um, so I don't know where we're well, going. Well, two more things I want to I want to ask, and they're quick things. If somebody, if a parent or anyone listening to the show, they want more information or they do want support, tell them what can they do. First place to check is our Youth Outlook website. Okay. Youth Outlook. Uh, has a website at www.youth-outlook.org. Don't forget the hyphen, okay. because without a hyphen, it's Youth Outlook in San Francisco. That won't help you. <laughs> unless so, you're in San Francisco. Unless you're in San Francisco. So that's our website locally. Um, I have a local office number. People are free to call me. People are also free to email me, info at youth-outlook.org. Uh, be glad to talk about our schedule, where our sites are, how our kids get involved, what kind of programming that we're doing. 
anything like that's that. That's great for Excellent. the locals, but all, most of our audience is not located okay. in and around Chicago. So okay. do you have any good resources for somebody? National. National resources? National resources. Yeah, they would want to check out PFLAG. They okay. would want to check out GLSEN. They would want to check out the Trevor Project. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Trevor Project has some great information on their site. I spend a lot of time. I teach at Dominican University, and I teach social work classes, and we spend a lot of time talking about the Trevor Project and the, you know, It Gets Better campaign, which made right. a big shift and make, made it accessible, you know? Right. Brought brought people in and helped them understand and created another community with all the people right. who made those videos. Right. And so, and one more time, Nancy, your website so people can find you and your blog and your book that's that coming. One? Yes. UrbanTidePool.com. UrbanTidePool.com. Nancy Mullen, thank you so much. Thank you both. We appreciate you coming here and talking and educating us and just the, all the work you do in the community. We so appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you, Nancy. Appreciate it. <laughs>